Hi there, welcome to Active Intelligence. I'm Aaron Ironside. I hope you'll join me for the next half an hour or so as we take a look at social issues from a variety of perspectives. And we promise to give you balance rather than bias. And most importantly, nobody is going to tell you what to think. The question before us today comes out of the murder of Sarah Everard in the UK. And that question is whether or not women really need to be afraid of men. That's what we're looking at today as we engage some active intelligence. On today's episode, I talk with sex therapist Joe Robertson about why it is that so many women feel anxious, if not downright afraid, going about their ordinary day-to-day -day business, aware of the unwelcome stare and attention of many men and having to be aware about what that might mean and how they might need to keep themselves safe. So when things like the murder of Sarah Everard happen in the UK, women become naturally more anxious and aware that the world may not in fact be a safe place. So we start today with some of those confronting testimonies of women explaining what it's like just to be out and about doing your ordinary stuff but being aware that things may not be entirely safe. Some confronting testimonies from some British women including activist Sophie Moreau. I was walking to my car one morning ready for my early shift and a group of men further up the road from me called me a slut and told me to get back here. I got in my car, locked the door and drove off. I was absolutely petrified. Packed tube, rush hour, a man was standing closely behind me. I thought he was so close because the tube was so busy, but then I could feel him breathing on my neck and I could feel him pressing himself against me and I realised he knew what he was doing and I was petrified. There's this narrative around sexual harassment and assault that what you're wearing matters. But when I was first catcalled at 10 years old, I was wearing my school uniform. So when I was 16 years old, I was walking in broad daylight um, from my sixth form at the time and I was followed home. I realised that I was being followed and went into a shop. Um, I waited there for about 20 minutes because I didn't want him to see where I lived just in case. I naively actually asked him, are you following me? Because I was in disbelief as to what was actually happening. And he denied following me. And I realised I just needed to get out of the situation. But I had, as many people do, the reaction of freezing. I didn't report it on that day because I knew that it would not have met the threshold. So I noted down his details while I still remembered them. Then two months later, or it was about a month and a half perhaps, after I'd changed address for unrelated reasons, I saw him outside my new address and this is when I realised I do need to call the police now. Hopefully I will have met the threshold. Instead, when I did report it, I was talked out of taking it any further by the police officer. The sad thing is I was feeling fear, but it was also familiarity. I'd been sexually harassed beforehand. I'd been street harassed beforehand. It was more a matter of how do I prevent this from becoming serious? Well, those are incredibly confronting testimonies. And I have to say, as a man, of course, I feel entirely unqualified to talk about this issue because I've never had to feel afraid just going about my ordinary business. I mean, I confess there have been a couple of occasions in my adult life where I'd started to wonder if I was safe and I'd reached for my car keys and put them through my fingers in preparation of something happening. Nothing actually did happen. But that was just a couple of occasions. I mean, the thought that one has to be on guard every day, most days, even some of the time, seems just exhausting, to be perfectly honest. 
So it's no wonder that many experts try and sort of calm those fears down. Marion Fitzgerald is a criminologist and she was on UK television around the time that the Sarah Everard case uh, was in the news trying to calm some of those fears down, saying actually, statistically, men are far more likely to be murdered in public, murdered by a stranger. I know, it's not exactly comforting news, but we can kind of see where she was going. She was saying, hey, look, if we look at the stats, maybe you don't have to be quite that afraid. Unfortunately, these comments got her in a whole bunch of hot water and she was very quick to try and correct herself. I'm saying that we should be no more worried and no more frightened than usual because of this. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying there is no reason not to take precautions, but I think that one of the differences that maybe we're seeing now is that these events are so rare. If you think back to Millie Dowler, I mean, that was 2002. Now, for a lot of young women at the time, that was the first time they'd come across anything like this, but that was 18 years ago. So this is the first experience of a lot of young women who are for the first time encountering the sort of things that young women have always experienced and are being exposed to those. It's the first time they've had the reality of that fear at its extreme brought home to them. So there you have Marion Fitzgerald trying to sort of back away quietly from her earlier comments that were only intended to try and help and to ease sort of anxieties, but actually sounded like maybe she was dismissing reality for many women who feel like actually being afraid is the only logical way to cope with the modern world. And that seems really incredibly sad that many women do feel exactly that way, that they'd be better off being anxious and being on guard which is why I decided to catch up with today's guest, who knows all about relationships and how uh, women are feeling in this modern world when it comes to sexual attention, particularly sex therapist Joe Robertson. So happy to be here, virtually. <laughs> well, I'm sure you get this question a lot. I suppose I have to ask, what exactly is a sex therapist? Yes, I know it sounds actually a little bit creepy. People think it sounds really strange. Um, so a sex therapist basically uh, talks with couples or with individuals about their sex life and their sexuality, how they feel about their sex life, what they want to see change and what kind of relationships they want to have that will support that. So I focus on two areas, really one is sexual pain and loss of libido. And then the other one is sexual betrayal. So whether that's um, an affair or, you know, secret porn use or multiple affairs even. Uh, so those are my two spaces that I spend a lot of time talking with couples about. Well, you obviously spend a lot of time talking about some pretty dark and painful sorts of stories. So I don't imagine that you're too shocked by the story from the UK of Sarah Everard. As terrible as this is to believe that really a stranger could be abducted, raped and murdered. This is the absolute worst of the worst. Yeah, it absolutely is. But exactly like what you've said, um, not really surprising uh, in that this is a, a being murdered is not a common experience, but being sexually assaulted for a lot of women is a common experience. Um, and obviously we have that happening to men and boys too, but it is more common amongst women. And so um, sad, but not necessarily really surprising. 
Well, before Sarah's body was discovered, police, of course, were alerting the locals that there might be danger afoot. And yet something rather curious happened. Uh, Professor Marion Fitzgerald from the University of Kent came out and said, actually, she's a criminologist, and said, look, it's far more likely that a man would be murdered by a stranger and murdered in public and somehow that women shouldn't pander to stereotypes and get hysterical. I found this a remarkable comment that someone would dare to suggest that women being concerned about whether they were safe on the streets when something dangerous was actually happening was any kind of hysterical. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's some truth in what she's saying, so it's important to note that, that that's true true that men are more likely to be killed in public and they are more likely to kill each other. And so we, we see that in data basically worldwide. But what we equally see, which I think is problematic about what she said, is that we see high rates of sexual violence, particularly in New Zealand. And there is reason to be worried for women and for girls. Um, we don't want to paint every man with the same brush stroke, you know. I don't want my boys, I've got three of them, to grow up thinking that they are going to be scary, predatory kind of creatures. But um, but I also, if I had three young girls, I would tell them how to stay safe on the street because those are the realities. It's interesting because what you're alluding to, of course, is part of the backlash, I suspect, of the Me Too movement that had many men feeling like they were being vilified for things that they never did, that they never said. And in fact, there are some pretty extreme ideas out there. I remember at university being in a class where a female classmate uh, announced to the room that according to the scholar she'd been reading, every act of sex was an act of rape. So there are some pretty extreme ideas out there. It's kind of hard for us guys sometimes to know whether or not we are kind of being painted with uh, too dark a brush. Absolutely. And I think being a mother of sons has really helped in that way. Um, I would definitely consider myself a feminist, uh, but in that way, I um, I would never. <laughs> I don't think it's helpful to hate men, speak really negatively of them. I don't really love the term toxic masculinity because um, I think it it derails or um, discourages a lot of men. Uh, and I, I want to encourage men, and especially the ones who've worked hard in this space around empathy and equality. Um, I really want them to feel awesome about that. Well, so here we have a rather unique situation where actually the facts didn't help at all. I can't imagine that any woman who heard that men were more likely to be killed by a stranger in public felt remotely safer by that comment. Uh, it's funny, isn't it? You just thought that the facts would help us. But this is an interesting insight into the way the human being works, that facts don't always reassure us. No, and in fact, it can be used to minimise. And that's not what's really helpful around fear. Minimising people's fear is not what they need. They need someone to understand their fear and help them manage it, not tell, it, tell them to make, basically make it go away. Um, and I think that that's what that did. It was also a little bit tone deaf. So talking about, <laughs> talking about men's murder rates would be a really great thing to discuss if that's what had happened. But talking about sexual violence and assault against women and women's safety was really the appropriate thing to talk about there. 
Well, I imagine that Marion might want to defend herself and say that actually the facts of the case had not quite been established. But nonetheless, I think you did right. Tone deaf would be an understatement. Is fear too big of a response, though? I mean, I understand that in life we have to exhibit some caution. When I cross the road, I look both ways. I don't have to feel terrified when I do it. What's it like for a woman to walk the streets, to navigate the world? Is fear the appropriate response? Well, I guess I can only kind of respond to that with my own experiences um, and the experiences of many, many women and girls who've shared their stories with me. And I would say from very early on, we both hear messages about men as being predatory, which is, you know, somewhat problematic, but also sometimes true. Um, But also our experiences, our real life experiences um, make us feel unsafe. I have had... I mean, countless experiences of men being um, problematic, that their behaviour has harmed me and made me feel unsafe. And that has happened from since I was probably 12 years old. And I just, I'm not the only one and I'm in the majority. So I will, you know, if I'm in the front of a school classroom, as I sometimes am, uh, and ask Girls, you know, what do you do to keep yourself safe as you walk home from school at three o'clock in the afternoon, broad daylight, and almost every girl in the classroom will have some kind of strategy that she's thought of to keep herself safe. When you ask the boys whether they do the same, there might be a couple and that will be it. And they also are totally unaware that girls are even doing this. We're doing all this kind of mental management of our anxieties and other people's behaviours without actually a lot of guys being aware of it. You've used an interesting phrase. You've said felt unsafe. Is there a difference between feeling unsafe and being unsafe? It probably doesn't feel that different to the person who feels it. (laughs) Um, And I think it happens in very subtle ways. Feeling unsafe looks like when you walk down the street, somebody yelling something at you um, about how you look you instantly are wondering what's going to happen next. Because is it okay to comment on how someone, you know, physically appears um, and expect that the other person is just going to feel really comfortable about that? We feel vulnerable. We feel exposed. We just all of a sudden feel like we're being watched and looked at in a problematic way. So it does feel unsafe. We do feel anxious. What's the answer? How, How can we help? I mean, stop making comments on the side of the road. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, there's stopping behaviours and those are definitely, you know, not making comments to women, um, being really respectful, uh, you know, calling each other out, um, men on men, you know, calling each other out when problematic statements are made or where there's any kind of um, endorsement of disrespect. Uh, so you have a lot um, of voice yourselves. Uh, I, I mean, I just long to see more men um, fight against sexual violence because if you look at any kind of protest around that, it's just filled with women. And wouldn't it be amazing if it was filled with women's husbands, boyfriends, sons? That would be really powerful. But I think the, the other thing there is just to be really empathetic. Um, not to jump to conclusions and just to ask the woman and the girls in your life how they feel and what's it like for them and what, you know, what do they need from you? 
It's an interesting point and distinction you make there around kind of the feeling of fear is as if the violent thing is kind of happening already. I think many men might think, oh, to to make a comment uh, wasn't that bad because it didn't really do anything because we weren't conscious that that comment made the lady feel a certain way and as you've pointed out and start to anticipate what does this comment mean where is it going to go what is now happening that I need to be sort of aware of I mean how do we learn to kind of get inside of the heads of other people in a sense to realize that what seemed maybe uh, comical or flirtatious to us was downright scary to somebody else yeah I mean try and pick up body language would be great (laughs) um Do some of your own learning. Uh, If I want to know what it's like to be a man, um, if I want to know what it's like to be a husband or a father, then, um, you know, watch some videos about that. You don't need to go super far on YouTube to be able to hear women's experiences. Like, it's not a really big effort that you have to go to to just hear um, what it's like for women. And you learn through that. You learn through hearing the stories and you also are exhibiting just right there to your partner, to your daughters, to your sister, to your mother, that you care about the issues that affect them. So it's a great first step. Okay, so most guys who are listening will want to do exactly what you've said. They'll feel a certain desire to learn to be a bit more empathetic. What about the one who pushes back? The one who says, well, how about the lady just learn not to take everything so seriously and just have a sense of humor and and kind of get over herself a bit? Yeah, um, I have heard that to my face many times. (laughs) And a lot of women do hear that um, rebuttal. If... If it was just all in feelings and thinkings and worries and anxieties and it wasn't based in facts, then maybe, yeah, that person would have a point. But with, at the moment, the data suggests one in three women and girls um, uh, have unwanted sexual touch at some stage in their life, the data would suggest that we all need to take that a little bit more seriously and that women and girls don't just kind of need to get over stuff, that they really need to be heard and that action really needs to be taken. This is an interesting kind of world in which we live now, where in a sense, it feels like there's a pendulum swing occurring. And for the most part, it's exactly the sort of swing that probably needs to happen. Is there a risk, though, whenever the pendulum swings that it could swing too far? Is is that even a thing in this instance? I think it is a thing if we label men and boys as bad. I think that is a problem, too. There are lots of phenomenal men and amazing boys who are, you know, have passionate about equality and empathy for women. Um, and so I never want to find my like myself in a place of bitterness. And I would encourage other women, uh, as hard as it can be, to place themselves um, as a teacher, but not as <laughs> an authoritarian kind of master. So teaching the men around you in, a, in, in, a, in quite a gracious way is the pathway to success. Um, yelling at them from the sideline and telling them that, telling them they're bad, that doesn't just doesn't actually really work. Now that's an interesting point because there's something in the heart of a man that that often feels told off, that often can kind of mishear that tone as if he's a little boy who's who's kind of in trouble with a with a mum kind of figure. I mean, how do we make sure that we don't kind of get that bizarre dynamic playing out? There are kind of just moments where you're going to feel told off. You're going to feel like you're the one in the wrong. Um, You're going to feel like you're being told what to do. And the biggest challenge there is to be humble. 
And I would say I've had to do that in my own life as a Pākehā person. I've had to do that with other Māori in my life who have said to me, hey, what you did there just actually wasn't that cool. And that's a deeply uncomfortable thing for me to do, for me to kind of face. But at the same time, how else is there change? And there's somebody else identifies something that I needed to do. So there's definitely a bit of humbleness, um, humility that is needed. We've talked a lot today about what men need to do. They need to do plenty. And with all due respect, is there something that women can do, should do, to not live bitter and to not live afraid? I would say we need to tell the men in our lives the stories. There are things that, you know, still, you know, even quite recently happened to me and that I don't, I don't necessarily automatically tell the men in my life because it's uncomfortable or, um, or I feel like I should minimize it too. Like I should brush it off. And that's not helping because men don't know what they need to do unless they're hearing our stories. So it does require an element of bravery uh, from women and girls to say what's going on for them, their stories, their experiences when they're felt unsafe. Um, yeah, I encourage people to speak up, uh, say, say, say it out loud. So the courage is kind of to speak, but there's also this need I'm hearing for perhaps to acknowledge when men are doing it right, when they're acting respectfully, doing it well, kind of to encourage more of what we want to see rather than simply critique what we don't want to see. Yeah, and hopefully we're all doing that with each other, no matter what cohort or demographic we're in. <laughs> um, hopefully we can all identify when each other's doing really well. Uh, I Yeah, absolutely. I think people need to go on a journey and they either have um, what we call like a revolution that happens really fast, the change happens quickly, or they go on an evolution and change happens slowly. And um, for a lot of guys, I think it's an evolution, it's a journey. And we've got to kind of allow them to have that whilst not being silent. Um, but definitely, I mean, we should all be praising each other when we get things right. I really do hope that we do take the time to praise men when they get it right, because I do have the feeling some days that I'm hearing an awful lot about what I'm doing wrong and, and not a lot about what I am doing right. And I hope that many men will take this episode to heart and start to think about what they need to do in order to do things a little bit better. Of course, it's not just women who are making these calls for men to step up. Uh, Daniel Guinness, for example, uh, is a campaigner in the UK. He's joined the chorus saying, come on, guys. We can do better. And we do say to young men and boys, you have a huge role to play in ending this, in actually creating a society that is safe and can be safe for everyone. Um, and the reason why men have such a big role to play is the other side of the stats. When you look at who's perpetrating the violence, the vast majority of violent crime is perpetrated by men, the vast majority. And um, it, we as men have such an important part in denormalizing, destabilizing, challenging, disrupting any of those norms that say it's okay to resort to violence, it's okay to force yourself on somebody. I mean, you can see a tendency for men to try to jump into a protector role, and I think that's uh, going to be a mistake because it, it's all about, it once again, about taking power and trying to control people. Instead, I would be encouraging men to listen. Uh, I'd be encouraging them to donate to the services that support uh, survivors. Um, I would be asking them to learn, do some reading, do some reflection on their own attitudes, the way they talk to their friends, um, the way they talk to their, their children. 
um, the way they've been taught by their parents. Um, and when they see these moments, they're actually normalising this violence, normalising um, these attitudes that accept that violence, challenge it. Daniel Guinness reminding us that courage isn't just about saying and doing the right thing for yourself. Sometimes the courageous thing to do is to actually call out other people gently, respectfully, you know, not necessarily in public, get alongside a guy afterwards and say, bro, when you said that, I'm not sure that was really received the way you thought it was. And maybe those sorts of comments aren't helping. I think we have to be much more courageous to actually start resetting some of what have become just simply social norms over a long period of time. And of course, for men, we just don't anticipate what it would be like to be on the receiving end, because frankly, no one's ever talked to us like that. Nobody's ever made those sorts of comments. We've never felt unsafe. So frankly, we just don't get it half the time. And that's why we also do need to stay in conversation with women to understand what's it like to hear those sorts of comments. And we need to dial up our emotional intelligence a little bit and start asking that question. How did the other person receive that? What did they hear? What did it feel like for them to be on the receiving end of that comment? See, we can't make the entire world safe, but we can commit to being safe ourselves. We can commit to monitoring ourselves and being aware in our world when those sorts of comments and actions are happening so that we can help the reset occur. Frankly, I think it would be better if men did this with each other. It would avoid the sense of being told off for being naughty, but rather we would kind of call each other to account and say, come on, bro, you can do better than this. You don't have to say things like that. That wasn't helpful and it really wasn't funny. And apart from not being funny, it actually made the other person uh, a little bit anxious about whether or not you were safe to be around. Frankly, I think many men are just ignorant. I don't think that we're um, sinister or dangerous most of the time. I think we're just a bit dumb sometimes, uh, in the sense that we're just not tuning in to the world around us. And we were thinking more about whether or not it would get a laugh than what it would be like for the other person to hear it. So some challenging thoughts today. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. I'd like to hear some stories if you have any to share, uh, both of feeling unsafe or perhaps working out, hey, I need to stop that, change my ways a little bit. You can visit the website, activeintelligence.nz. Now, there's a subscribe button on that website too, so that you can make sure you get every fresh episode delivered to your inbox. We'll catch you next time on Active Intelligence. <laughs>